Another season, first draft is underway. Jalen Carter, too quick, too powerful. That's a touchdown. That is a bad man. Oh, no, 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 no. Maybe the best player in the sport. Watch out for Mr. Robinson. Fifth touchdown pass for C.J. Stroud. Jackson Smith and Jigbo, arguably the top receiver in the country. If you didn't know the name Will Levis before tonight, you know it now. Richardson, lead throws a defender out of bounds. He is a highlight reel waiting to happen every time he touches the football. Less than a month until the 2023 NFL Draft as we say hello and welcome back in to the First Draft Podcast. I am Field Yates. Of course, as always, Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay are here and they will be the stars of the show. If you are watching the live stream in just a handful of hours at 5 p.m. Eastern time to be more specific, we'll be breaking down Mike Tannenbaum's GM Mock Draft and... That was through the eyes of what Mike would do if he were the GM, not what he expects teams to do. Safe to say that Mike has the internet talking today, but we're going to be talking not about that on this show, but instead the well-traveled Todd McShay. This has been a busy week for you, Todd. It must be nice to be in your own house just for a little bit. Yeah, it is. I'm flying out tonight right after the Mike Tannenbaum special with uh, Sports Center special. And um, I three, listen, I, I love what the NFL's done. They kind of, Tripped into it last year with back-to-back-to-back quarterbacks. Four in a row, actually. The four top quarterbacks in last year's class going in four consecutive days. And listen, pro days are, are, are probably the, the skinniest slice in terms of the pie chart when it comes to evaluating quarterbacks. But it's still good to be there, talk to other general managers, head coaches, decision makers, to see them, the quarterbacks throw in a three-day span or a four-day span and see all the top quarterbacks. They liked it so much that they they lined it up this way again this this past year with with um, C.J. Spiller going the first day at Ohio State, Bryce Young going the second day uh, on, on Thursday, I believe it was, in Alabama, and then taking a nice, easy flight, going to see uh, Will Levis in Kentucky on Friday. And then now, on Thursday of this week, we've got uh, Anthony Richardson throwing at Florida. So it's going to be four quarterbacks in a, what, eight-day span, seven-day span. And, and last year it was four and four days. But this year we've got four first-rounders that we know about and, and the top two quarterbacks, seeing them back-to-back. It was, it was valuable just to see the ball come off their hand, the different, difference in the energy at the end of throws and, and some of the little things like that to, to watch. I mean, C.J. Spiller was absolutely uh, – C.J. Uh, Stroud yeah. was absolutely sensational. He, he, he was – I mean, it was built for him because he's the best pure pocket passer – then you see Bryce Young, and you can't see a lot of the creativity and the ability to extend in the pro day atmosphere. But you do see, you know, the timing, the anticipation, the touch on all three levels. And then Will Levis kind of matched up with his tape. Best arm of those three quarterbacks. Ball explodes off his hand. The ball never gets higher than the helmet on throws within 25 yards. It's just laser after laser. But the placement is a little bit inconsistent. And, and the deep ball, he had a, a great couple of throws and then kind of tired at the end of his workout and, and really was struggling and laboring to get it down the field. But it's kind of matched up with the tape. Some inconsistency there. But the big, big time arm to make all the throws in the NFL and to fit it into tight windows that, that you know, Stroud and, and Young are basically not capable of doing in, in certain situations. Mel, what would you make of those uh, pro days? Obviously, you were not there on the circuit like Todd was, but you had the chance to watch them, and you've been doing this forever. How do you kind of balance what you see versus what you have been watching on tape and what we learned at the Senior Bowl, at the Shrine Bowl, at the Combine, every other piece of the pie in this quarterback evaluation? 
I think it's a joke. I, I, I watch it, but I say, don't let it sway you. I, I talk to this and say, boy, if you're going to rate players after a pro day, you're nuts. And you're going to be way off. And, and you get lies told to you this time of year by everybody. Everybody's trying to you know, show up for pro days when they know who they've already taken or who they've made their mind up for already. Uh, you're thrown against air. I mean, the, these private workouts for quarterbacks coming up are so critical. That's the important part. Pro days combined for quarterbacks is not. Uh, I don't know what else to say about it. When Peyton Manning has one of the worst pro days ever, okay, and Zach Wilson and Jamarcus Russell had the best pro days ever, what does that tell you? So people go into this, they say, well, you know, Josh Allen's a little off. That tells you why he completed this percentage. Well, at the end of the day, does that matter that Sam Darnold was better? Is Sam Darnold a better quarterback than Josh Allen? Hell no. So you look at it now, you say, okay, at the end of the day, the last two years, Bryce Young and, and Will Levis, what are their completion percentages? They were both 65.7%. Bryce Young didn't complete any more passes, completion percentage-wise, than, than uh, Will Levis did. But people will pick apart Will Levis. He played at Kentucky. What four- and five-star recruits was he throwing to? I didn't see many. So, again, uh, and he lost his best receiver going into the year. So, and, and also, who's built for a pro day? I heard that. Well, Will Levis is built for a pro day. No, he's not. No, he's not. He, he, he had nine rushing touchdowns in, in 2021. C.J. Stratton had zero over the last two years. Bryce Young had seven over the last two years. He had nine in one season. He had zero over the last eight games this year because he was beat up. So this notion he's just a thrower and he's only built for a pro day, he can beat you with his legs. He's a running threat. He couldn't do that this year, and you don't see that at a pro day. So at the end of the day, you know, pro day is what it is. It's part of the process. It means absolutely nothing. All right, so Todd, I, I totally see. Exactly. <laughs> let, me, let me jump in real quick. I, I did think it was interesting to see who was in attendance. That's right. You know, obviously, yep. you've got the Carolina Panthers picking at number one. And you've got David Tepper, the owner, his wife, Nicole. You've got the entire staff, basically, offensive staff from head coach, uh, Frank Reich, all the way down to you know, uh, offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, several scouts. So they sent a boatload of players, I'm sure, on the Gulf Stream or uh, personnel people on, on the Gulf Stream and traveling from one to the next to the next and taking the guys out to dinner the night before. And I think it's, you know, part of the evaluation, and I hope that, that Tepper doesn't get too involved in, in the, the final decision. Scott Fitterer, the GM, should make that decision with the, the, the advice that he's getting from, from head coach Frank Wright. But, but to, to know that the ownership is that involved, it's interesting. It can go both ways, but clearly they, they, they want to get a feel for the, the person. You know, they're handing the keys over to a young man for the entire organization. And they're expecting this to be a decade-long um, you know, marriage, at least. And so it was interesting to see Tepper there, the first, the first owner that I've seen at a pro day since Daniel Snyder when Washington drafted RG3. So, and then you compare that, you know, the Raiders sent a whole bunch of people, including Josh McDaniels, their head coach. Um, you didn't, but like Houston sitting at number two, they sent an area scout to the three pro days. The Colts sitting at four, talking about maybe trading up to number three to get the third best quarterback in this class, or maybe it's their second best quarterback, but the third best in most people's minds. They sent an area scout to, to all three. So the difference in, in attendance, and Mike Vrabel was at two of the three, and the Titans had a lot of people there. So it was really interesting to see that. And, and maybe it's just philosophical. Maybe it's like you know Mel says, it's useless, so why go? But if I'm getting ready to draft a quarterback that could be my, my decade-long guy, I want as much exposure around him as a general manager, as a head coach, as an offensive coordinator, as a quarterback coach, as I can possibly get. And I guess I know I'm going to have private meetings with him. We're going to bring him in the building. We're going to go work him out with, with our you know, installs and different things. 
But wouldn't you take advantage of being able to have dinner the night before or, the, or that night or whatever it is in, in order to just get to know the human being a little bit more? I, I was interested by that. No question, Todd. And by the way, one last team that made it very clear it was going to be there for all those quarterback pro days was the Seahawks at pick five, who just, of course, extended yes, Geno right. Smith. Not only were they there, they took selfies, they posted them on Twitter, they obviously marched to the beat of their own drum in Seattle, and it's been very successful during the John Schneider and Pete Carroll era. But whether they're trying to pull the bait and switch or whether they're trying to let people know that just because we re-signed Geno Smith, it doesn't mean that we are not focused on the future as well. We have this bonus pick at number five. Perhaps it winds up becoming a quarterback. So I, I actually was gonna, I was gonna, I was going to ask you, Todd, what beyond the throwing did we see? And you covered it really well there. So I think, Mel, is there anything you want to add to these quarterback pro days or either of you for that matter before we move forward? Because I don't want to overestimate uh, just how valuable they are. But they are big events, at least in the eyes of those of us on the media side, and I don't want to totally dismiss them either. Well, I do. Um, I don't know. I, I can't beat around the bush. I dismiss them. I think. You, I don't know what else to say. Field about pro days. That's I guess they're part yeah. of the process, as Todd said. All right, let me jump in. I, let's I let's, let's get some explain. substance before yeah. before Mel reigns on the whole parade, yeah. right? Like. I think it's interesting. I I'm think it's interesting. Josh just, you you got to tell Pete me what's Carroll. important with a pro day. Seeing a guy throw against air. What's important with seeing a guy throw against air? I, taking him I'm, at the I'm, dinner. I'm going to try to convince you to, he's the right guy. Uh, yeah. I'm going to try to bring some content here and something we can talk about versus just being you know miserable about it. I think. <laughs> I think John Schneider and Pete Carroll being there, taking selfies, going to you know to social media. Yeah, they're there and they're scouting these guys, and maybe they take one at five. You know, and, and who knows what's going to happen. But it's also not bad, a bad idea to be present at all of these to make teams behind them, like Las Vegas at 7, Tennessee at 11, Washington at 16, uh, Tampa Bay at 18. All could be kind of sneaking around trying to figure out, okay, is, is Anthony Richardson going to be there at 5? And so maybe, the, you know, they've got two picks in the first round. They pick at 5 and 20, I believe. And so maybe they're looking to move back and get additional picks, whether that's a, a second this year and a first next year, whatever it is. To me, either they're going to take one or they're kind of planting the seed. Like if, if you want to get up and get that fourth quarterback, if, if Will Levis comes off the board after C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young, then you better, you better give us a call because we're, we're capable of taking one. And so to me, that's an interesting strategy, and, and maybe we'll see that play out on draft day if they wind up making a move back from that number five spot. All right, so let's move forward here. Uh, the next steps in the pre-draft process, we do have a handful of more pro days, most notably, as you mentioned, Anthony Richardson's on Thursday. Todd will be there. Follow along on ESPN all day for coverage of that. There will also be For no good reason, as Kuiper no, no. will tell us. In the eyes of some. In the eyes of others, though, we enjoy them still, Todd. Uh, each NFL team is permitted most. to have 30 players visit their facility uh, for a period of about mm -hmm. 24 hours before the draft unless those players live within a certain proximity of that team's practice facility but those teams use uh, those visits are obviously very useful not just for getting to know the guys like both of these two men have described but also things like physicals and speaking with the assistant coaches who might potentially be working with these players and sometimes those visits are Again, just to sort of put some misinformation out there and make other teams think you are more interested in a prospect that you actually don't plan to take. We're going to come back and talk defense, though, in just a moment. we got players that we've talked about before on this show. We wanted to dive a little bit deeper into, including a player who Mel, in his most recent two mocks, has had up and then a little bit further down the board. But first, Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would when it comes to great rates and insurance. 
Geico can help, like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more. And Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today. All right, so we are back, and it's time now for us to discuss some defensive players. Players that might go in the first round, might not, but let's sort of size them up. And now, Will McDonald, the fourth from Iowa State, in not your last mock draft, but the mock prior to that was all the way up to the Falcons at number eight. He slid back down to 24 for the Jaguars. But still, the fact that you have him in the first round is not exactly... Um, like that, I would say it's consensus across every mock draft that I am reading these days. Introduce me more into what kind of player Will McDonald is and what a team will be getting in this former Iowa State standout. First of all, a veteran pass rusher and a guy who has the ability, I think, to affect the game coming off the edge right away in the NFL. He can be an immediate guy who can get out there and help your defense immensely. So you're going to get immediate production. That's number one. A guy that loves to play the game, certainly plays with a lot of energy and had done it over a period of time at Iowa State. And obviously everybody knew going into this year, he was a guy you had to identify and neutralize if you could. But he can fly off the edge. He can close quickly, plays with energy. And I thought eight. Now you say, okay, well, why'd you drop him? McShay was screaming. It's a way when you move players around, things will happen in terms of knees and the guy all of a sudden drops. Miles Murphy's not even in my top, uh, for my first round right now, defensive end out of Clemson. So it, got, it impacts by one thing happening, like even Jalen Carter dropping to where I had him. Corners moving around a little bit impacts that. I still think Will McDonald goes in the first round, probably somewhere between where I had him and Mock with 2.0 and 3.0, maybe somewhere in the middle there. But certainly if you want a pass rush in Seattle, Todd talks about their defense. And what they need there, that's a team at 20 could take a guy like Will McDonald. If they go, say, quarterback at five, come back mm -hmm. with a Will McDonald the fourth at that 20 spot and get that edge guy, which is exactly what they need. So I'm high on the kid. I love the kid. I love everything about him. I think he's ideally suited for what you need in the game today. Any rotation coming off the edge, he will be part of immediately. I love that aspect of it. And, uh, and the fact that he played a lot of great football at Iowa State. Your thoughts, Todd? Yeah, listen, he, he was highly productive. You look at the last couple, about three years, 25 sacks, a lot of pressures. He's, you know, he, he's got 6'4", 239 frame. He's got to get a little bit, you know, bulk up a little bit, but he's got great bend around the edge. And the thing that I see when I study McDonald is he does a phenomenal job of staying active with his hands and his feet and tying them together. It seems like offensive tackles never really truly get in and latch on his pads. It's that explosive first step and then the ability with his hands and his feet to kind of move through uh, that contact point. So when you consider the bend, you consider the, the active hands and feet, the explosive first step, and this is a guy who's going to be productive at the next level. There's no question. I think he's late first, early second, you know, first five, six picks in the second round. Could absolutely see him go in the first round. Like to see him get him a little bit bigger. You know, Julian Okwara from the Lions, he's built like that. You know, Okwara, I think seven sacks the last two years, starting to come on a little bit. He's had some injury issues with uh, Detroit. But to me, he's kind of got that build. I'd like to see him get a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. But certainly when you ask for bend, explosiveness, and the ability to utilize his hands and feet together, 
McDonald brings a lot to the table. Again, Will McDonald went 24th in Mel's most recent mock. I'm going to go to Todd now and the next prospect in the Mel. You can just follow Todd right away uh, for your thoughts on Aditamiwa Adabare, defensive tackle out of Northwestern, who has been sensational, Todd, so far during the pre-draft process and on top of being a really good player at Northwestern as well. Yeah, Adabare, his tape is really good. And everyone thought, well, you know, he had a great senior bowl week. He had an exceptional workout at the the combine. And so maybe maybe he's kind of a workout wonder who's just dominating the pre-draft process. That's not the case. This guy, he doesn't have prototypical size, but he ran 4'4'9 at 282 pounds. You can play him on the edge, but I'm telling you, his tape as a three technique, pop in that Ohio State game. Watch how explosive he is getting through that that B-gap and and just firing up the field between the, the guard and the tackle. He, he beat that offensive line for Ohio State over and over again. It was so disruptive in every game that I studied, but especially against that Ohio State offensive line. Tackles for loss, pressures, getting C.J. Stroud off his spot. He doesn't have to make the tackle to make the play, if that makes sense. Like He is the guy that's going to disrupt and blow everything up, and oftentimes it's somebody else who comes in and cleans it up. But he's the one who's, who's taking the initial play away from the offense. So I loved his take. And I think he's skyrocketing between what he did this past year on, on tape, the versatility he brings, the senior bowl he had, and then the phenomenal work. I mean, who at 282 pounds can run a 4-4-9? And some people are saying, well, the clocks were fast this year. I don't care what the clocks were. Then fine. Let's call it a 4-5-5, f- 4-5-3. Five, five, yeah. He's 282 pounds. Like, you, you can't coach that stuff. So, to me, like – Late in the first round, to bring in a player that can play end and can play three technique and has that versatility, I, I bet on that guy to, to succeed at the next level. Yeah, I was getting calls, Todd. Why do you have him in the first round and nobody else does? I, I don't know why. I, you know, I talk to people in the league who love the kid. They love his versatility. They do feel, as a three technique, he can be an impact player. And certainly what he did in, at Northwestern, he chased. You saw the speed when he chased in pursuit. You saw it. So there was yes. indications when he played at Northwestern what he could do and from a test standpoint. It's not just a guy who's a workout warrior. That is wrong. That is completely false to evaluate this kid as a workout warrior only. The production was there. The consistency was there. Recruited by Air Force Army coming out of high school. You're talking about a character, high-character kid with versatility and great tests puts an exclamation point on the scouting report, guys. So when you get a guy that played like he did, test off the charts, how he's not in – I don't know. Hey, everybody's got their opinion. I think he's a guaranteed first-rounder. I almost moved him up from where I had him. I know Todd would have said it's a Kuiper stunt. I don't buy it. <laughs> I, I felt bad no, putting him down no, to Dallas in the late first round. I thought that was maybe even a little too low. Yeah, 26 was where you had him re- most recently, Mel, in that uh, last yeah. mock to the Cowboys at 26, who every team could use a bit more pass rush, as Adabari would certainly provide mm-hmm. to the team that uses likely a first-round pick on him. A player who's probably higher on most people's boards but does seem to generate a wide range of opinions, Mel, is Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech, a guy who certainly looks the part. He is a physical specimen, bit up and down, Didn't haven't seen a ton from him so far in this pre-draft process. What do you make of his outlook as a player? Yeah, some love him. I've been okay. Yeah, I, I like him. I don't love him. Todd does and others do. I, yeah, I know they dropped him in the coverage some, which was frustrating watching tape of Tyree Wilson not even get after the quarterback. You're dropping him. You're doing the offense a favor. This guy has the ability to get after the quarterback, and he certainly has. You draw up a pass rush and you say, boy, I want him to look like Tyree Wilson. I want to, He's talking about looking the part. He does. He's coming off the foot injury late. Uh, he's certainly with a defensive line coach can get this guy and hopefully get him in 
into a point where to a point where he can be more consistent off the edge. The talent's there. I've seen flashes of brilliance at times. I've seen times where he's a little quiet. I didn't see it. So again, I like him. Uh, I don't love him like McShay does. Yeah, I, I, listen. I, I just think you, you can't find like. 6'6", 275-pound guys with 35 and 5'8"-inch arm length don't yeah, grow freak. on trees, man. Like, you get an opportunity to bring in someone with athleticism and hit. Like, he's got the length of an elite left tackle, and so he can match length with length. And what he does is he converts speed to power, and he got better with his hands this year. You know, you look at his stats and say, well, it's not exceptional. 14 tackles for loss, 7 sacks. That's only in 10 games. Mm. He didn't play 13, 14 games this past season. That was in 10 games before the foot injury. It was legitimate. I talked to Jim Nagy, the, uh, the uh, senior executive of the Reese's Senior Bowl, and he said, listen, some guys opt out because you and Mel stick them too high in your mock draft, and, and I get pissed at you behind closed doors. But he's like, <laughs> he legitimately is still rehabbing. He's not ready He's not ready to, to go out and, and to work out on this setting. He wants to make sure he's ready for training camp and all that, which I understand. So – I just think with his height, his weight, his length, the way he's emerging and developing as a pass rusher, you just don't get a lot of guys who have that size, the 35 and almost 36-inch arm length, and the athleticism that he has. He's going to be a full-blown nightmare for opponents when he continues to you know, fill into his frame and get better with his hands. He's got a chance to be special. That's why you see him in a lot of these mock drafts going in the top ten. Look at these resurgent Texas Tech defensive Raiders. You've got Jordan Brooks in the first round a couple of years ago. Now Tyree Wilson mm-hmm. likely in the first round. Who says they don't play defense down in Lubbock? All right, uh, Mel, I'll give you the, uh, Todd, I'll give you the last one here, at least the first shot at the last one. A player that I know Mel liked a lot earlier. We were just talking about an undersized defensive tackle, but a guy that can get underneath your pads and make life difficult. Kalijah Clancy, Clancy, easy enough for me to say, certainly fits that mold as well, Todd, out of Pittsburgh. Yeah, Clancy is he's built differently, and you look at it, and everyone said Aaron Donald. That's why I think he fell to, what, 12 overall? And I'm not saying he's Aaron Donald, but you know, he comes from the same school. He has the same three technique, undersized, sawed off defensive tackle who's going to beat you with his explosiveness and just his, his ability, that first step. That's where he's so dangerous. He, like, the game's over for an offensive guard if you're going one-on-one against him with that first step off in time. And if he doesn't win with that, he's agile enough to work a double move outside in or whatever, what, what have you. But you look at his workout numbers, 4-6-7, he ran in the 40-yard dash. At, at his size, 281 pounds, just six foot one. But you see it on the tape, just constantly disrupting plays. He kept getting better and better as his, season, as his career progressed. And, and probably had his best year this past year, in my opinion, uh, even though he had a great year in 2021. So, can't see to me, I think late first round, Mel, I think, you know, you have to have the right fit. You have to play a defense, a four-man front where, where you're utilizing a three technique. But for teams like that, late in the first, I think they look at his size and say, you know what, if Aaron Donald can do it, he may, he's never going to do it at Donald's level. There's only one Aaron Donald. But he, you know, he kind of paved the way for these shorter three techniques in the NFL. Yeah, Todd, I think you're right. It has to be the right fit. And unless there are teams that will say, hey, we don't have the scheme for Cansey. He's not going to be a guy who can come in here and prosper and, and maximize his ability. I love the kid. I love the way he exploded in the backfield at Pitt. He was disruptive. Boy, he's a nightmare, as you say, to try to block for a center guard at the collegiate level. The only thing that bothers me, you mentioned Aaron Donald. That's not fair to compare him to Donald. We know that. You think no, about where not. Donald I, I went. The draft should have gone a lot higher. People were concerned about the size. The size, similar, right? Yeah. 
you look at the speed, ran a little faster with 4.67 and Aaron Donald did with 4.68. The only concern I have, whether he can translate what we saw at Pitt to the NFL, is the arm length. Aaron Donald had longer arms than Kalijah Kansi does. If you're 6'1", 280, you've yeah. got to have the arm length. And that's the only thing that bothers me with Kansi. When you're that size, He's shy the of 31 inches, Mel. allowed him to go into the NFL and wreak havoc. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Todd just mentioned the arm length there, around 30, less than 31 inches for Kalijah Kansi. But still a very intriguing player and a guy that, as we said, if he gets underneath you, it's going to be really tough for an offensive lineman to hold back. All right, let's, uh, we always focus in on the players that are likely to go near the top of the draft board or at least be under first-round consideration. But I've always felt like where these two men can thrive more than anybody else is highlighting players that we're not talking about that much in the mainstream. Well, we're going to save a couple of guys for Todd's spotlight to end the show. But, Mel, if I say diamond in the rough on the defensive side of the ball, who are a couple of names that come to mind for you for the 2023 class? Yeah. Thaddeus Robinson, defensive end from Ole Miss. Uh, the Auburn game, the Mississippi State mm-hmm. game, boy, he has got strong hands. And I tell you, when he, he can disengage and he locates the ball. And that was very impressed with me with Tavius Robinson. I, I think he can get lost in the shuffle a bit. He's going to be a good rotation defensive end right away. You get into the fourth, fifth round area, even maybe a little earlier than that, Tavius Robinson to me is going to make a team. He's going to be a guy who can contribute right away as a pass rusher. And then Yasir Abdullah, linebacker Louisville. You think about a guy who can test great but play great. He played off ball. He played outside. He got after the quarterback. And what really impressed me was the ability to cover running backs down the field. Yasir Abdullah could do it. He would run with the backs down the field and match up in coverage. He's not only athletic, boy is he tough. And he tested off the charts. I want Yasir Abdullah of Louisville on my team in that third or fourth round area. So Tavius Robinson, Ole Miss defensive end, Yasir, Ab- Yasir Abdullah linebacker Louisville, I think very underrated, Todd. Yeah, I want to go to the safety position. I, I think the edge position and the cornerback uh, spots are, are the two deepest groups that we have in this class. We don't have elite safeties necessarily at the top. There may not be a, a first-rounder. But, but to me, when you get down in that like third, fourth-round range, there's a lot of guys that can come in and, and contribute. And you know, to me, you start with um, J.L. Skinner from Boise State. He doesn't have great top-end speed, but my goodness, when he's in the box, he will knock your, he will knock your helmet off. I mean, and, and he's been productive. I think it's seven interceptions the last two years. He's a player to keep an eye on. Daniel Scott from Cal. Ran a 4.45 in his 40-yard dash, about six foot, 208 pounds. He's been highly productive throughout his career there. I think he's getting overlooked a little bit. Beyond that, Jair Brown. He ran a 4.65 at Penn State. I, every tape I put on, he's the fastest to get the ball in that defense. And yeah, he, I get it. I mean, maybe you can't play single high with him, but he can play two high safety. And he's at his best when he's close to the box. You know, coming out of Penn State, he he has been the most consistent defensive player for that Penn State defense the past couple of years, and he does it. I think he he has as good a recognition skills of any safety in this class, and he is a great tackler. He's around the ball. He makes plays on the ball, and as that like big nickel in the box safety, I, I think he can really thrive at the next level. So those are a few safeties that kind of really jumped out to me. I've, I've studied them all in the last like 10, 12 days, and so they're fresh on my mind, and I think they're players that – that are probably going to get drafted a little bit lower than they should and are going to wind up outperforming where their draft slot was. Uh, so, Todd, you mentioned probably not too many first-round uh, safety considerations. Sounds like probably Brian Branch from Alabama is the most likely first-round consideration. But there are going right. to be plenty of corners that we expect to go in the first round. I know everybody talks about the depth of the tight end class. 
I might argue the best position in this year's draft Oof. is the cornerback slot because these are guys that we know are going to go in the first round. So let's have some fun dissecting these cornerbacks. We'll kind of go back and forth between you, you two. And Mel, I'll start with you with the number one cornerback, at least in the most recent edition of Cornerback Rankings by our colleague Matt Miller. That's Devin Witherspoon from Illinois, a guy who will just absolutely knock the snot out of you. How impressive are you by his tape and what kind of range will we be looking at for him in the draft? He's a really nice player. Now, he's had the hamstring through the process, and I think he's going to be having a pro day coming up. But you look at, at Devon Witherspoon, the way he played at Illinois, you mentioned the tackling, the aggressive quality he brings to that cornerback spot, and the ability to play bigger than he is, uh, and certainly coverage skills, the ball skills, the anticipation, the awareness. He had all that going this year. He was a dynamic player for Brett Bielema. In that Illinois secondary, it has what, three guys that are going to be in the NFL. Martin, the, the nickel safety corner. Then he got Sidney Brown, a heck of a player at that safety. Spots. This, this program is producing a lot of defensive backs this year, but I think Devon Witherspoon's got to be top 10. I think you look at, at teams like Atlanta, the Raiders, all those teams in that first round that need a corner, and that top 10 of the first round that need a corner are going to be debating Witherspoon or Christian Gonzalez for Oregon. I think those are the top two right now. Joey Porter's kind of trying to hold off Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State and Deontay Banks from Maryland for that third cornerback spot. I'm, I'm big on Emmanuel Forbes. We'll get to him in a second. I think he's one of the most underrated first-rounders on the defensive side in this draft. But I'm big on Witherspoon, followed by Christian Gonzalez at cornerback, Todd. Yeah, I love Witherspoon. I mean, he's, he's a linebacker that just so happens to be, to be stuck in a cornerback's body and has cornerback cover skills. And I talked to their, their defensive coaches. Like, they said they, they can't get this guy to shut up in practice for one snap. He doesn't shut up in the game the entire time. He plays with that nasty Mike linebacker mentality. I was at this Michigan game. It was like play after play. How is this cornerback who's playing on the edge, covering the number one receiver for Michigan, continue to get involved in the run game? And then he's taking away the number one receiver as well. So when you've got a guy like that that plays with the passion that he has, he reminds me a little bit like Antoine Winfield. Remember Winfield mm. with the Bills for so long? How, you know, undersized, I'm not saying Witherspoon is, is like as small as, as Winfield, but just that linebacker mentality at the cornerback position. And in today's game with all the bubble screens and, and the short game, and the, some of the RPOs and spreading things out, you've got to have corners that can tackle. And this guy's as good as it gets in terms of having a cornerback that will make plays versus the run and in the screen game. All right, so let's go to the next cornerback on many people's boards, including Matt Miller's, Todd, and that's Anthony Gonzalez, uh, Christian Gonzalez. I don't know why I was thinking Anthony Gonzalez right there, but Christian Gonzalez, who spent this past year at Oregon. That's all right. started I call him CJ Strauss, CJ Spiller. You so. know, as long as we get him out by April 27th, that's all that matters, Todd. But, of course, Christian <laughs> Gonzalez it. spent his first portions of his college career at Colorado, transfers to Oregon, has his best season by far, actually gets his hands on the ball with interceptions this past year, and he is a freak athlete how good or how high can he go in the draft yeah he's he is a freak athlete and you talk to you talk to that coaching staff and just like some of the things he does in practice you know outdo some of the amazing things that he does in games I think it is Witherspoon and Gonzalez for that number one corner I've got Witherspoon as a number one corner and then Gonzalez just right behind him I think I've got him like eight and nine overall you know on the overall board so Gonzalez you get a freak athlete you get a guy who can jump through the gym you get a guy who's got the fluid hips the quick feet the top end speed, everything you look for at that position. Is he as physical as Witherspoon? No, nobody is. And I think he can get a little bit better and stronger versus the run. But if you're just looking for a cornerback in this class to take away your number one receiver, and it doesn't have to be impressed man with the long arms like Joey Porter Jr., I think Gonzalez is like the best pure 
just cover corner athletic traits wise in this class, Mel. Yeah, I would agree on Gonzalez. I, I think it's hard uh, not to have him at two or one uh, because of the way he tested and the way he played. After the Georgia game, he was, like I say, four picks. I, mean, I love this business-like approach. When you saw him at the combine, I didn't see a smile. I love that. I, I mean, he went there. He's serious about what he's doing. It's job. It's, it's obviously important. It's critical. Uh, he's all business. And I think the production this year, getting those four picks after having zero at Colorado, yep. showed the ball skills right. were there. That, was that allowed him, I think, to push his way up the board to the point where he could be the first or second corner. And I'll get to my guy, Emmanuel Forbes, Todd. I want to get what, what your feeling is on him. The more I watch him, the more I love the kids. Some guys have it, and some guys don't. He has it. Mm. And you don't pick off 14 passes in your career, and you don't have six career pick sixes. That's touchdowns he created, six right. of them. And you don't go out there at 166 pounds and not miss a game with an injury in, in the SEC. What's not the like? He's 6'1", he's 166. He doesn't miss time. He tackles. He intercepts passes. He's a heck of a football player. And, and to me, uh, like I said, I call him Splendid Splinter 3. I love the kid. I don't know where he's going to go in the first round, but he's going to go in the first round. And, again, I wouldn't be shocked if he went as high. I think I mocked him uh, to 16 to Washington. I've had calls saying, you got a two-eye. Look, did you see that frame? He's only one. I don't care. He's 166. He's 176, 186. Does it matter? He's a football player, okay? The production was off the charts, Todd. What am I missing here? Am I, am I talking too positively about Emmanuel Forbes? Am I overrating him? What's your take on him? I love him. I, I wish he was 190. <laughs> but what you're missing is, like, teams are hung up on 166. I think that's what he weighed in at, right? Yep. You know, it, it, yeah, we List 180, yeah. but he was 6'1", 166 with 32 and a quarter inch arms at the combine. And so you, you look at those numbers, but he ran a 4.35. He's got the best ball skills of any cornerback in this class. You can match him up one-on-one. -on -one. He doesn't have, he actually plays better despite his length. He plays better in off coverage where he can keep his eyes in the backfield. And he has discipline, but he knows when to take chances. And he gets early jumps on the ball. And that's what I love about him. You don't have to play him like some of these other guys in one specific role. He can play off man. He can play off zone. He has great instincts. And I think that's the number one most overlooked thing. And the thing that, that when you look at guys that had success trans, uh, translating from the college game to the NFL, do they read it? Do they see the whole field? Where are they eye, their eyes? Do they process? Are they intelligent? You just think, hey, cornerbacks, it's about running and jumping and all that. Cornerbacks have to be smart. They have to process it like a quarterback in order to make the, the type of plays that Forbes did. So I have no problem with it. He, he's a first-round pick, in my opinion. I think I've got him as the number four or five cornerback in this class. And this class, as, we, as Field mentioned, is absolutely loaded. And I think the player that maybe some people are saying, how have you not mentioned him yet, Todd, is Joey Porter Jr., of course, has NFL bloodlines. His father, an excellent linebacker for the Steelers, just a dominant player in his prime. And Joey Porter Jr. has some of that same physicality his dad brought to the linebacker spot at cornerback. Feels like another guy that should be in the top half of the first round. And I got to figure his ceiling is high, but his floor is high really well. It feels like the bus, uh, really high as well. The bus potential here feels very low to me for Joey Porter. He was made to play football at the NFL level. Yeah, and I, I think his, his length, his physicality and coverage, he's more physical in coverage than he is in run support sometimes, can get, you know, out of, kind of out of position, lose, lose the outside, contain it on occasion. But in coverage, he, he's going to attack you and he's going to force you to get off the line of scrimmage. And he does it with 
with the great length that he has. And he also has good enough speed to turn and run with just about anybody. So with Joey Porter, like, he didn't give up a, a touchdown this past year, if, I, if I'm correct. He, he up, just yeah. doesn't allow, allow a lot of big plays. You've got his size at 6'2 and a half, 193 pounds, left tackle arms, 34-inch arms, and he still ran a 4.45. So, yeah, there's a little bit of tightness, but when you're rerouting guys and you can turn and run vertically and carry a fast receiver down the sideline, then, you know, there's not much missing in his game. And clearly teams didn't want to throw to his side this year wisely, but when they did, the results were not very good. And I, I think Porter has that professional approach. He's learned it from his dad. He's ready to go. He's a plug-and-play starter from day one. And with all these corners, like because we're going to have four quarterbacks likely go in the top ten, a couple, you know, two or three probably defensive linemen, maybe a couple offensive linemen. Maybe the run starts at ten or you know nine, ten in that range. But when they start to go, they're going to go fast. Witherspoon, Gonzalez. Uh, we talk talk about Porter Jr. there, Forbes, uh, Deontay Banks. There's a lot of corners that I think we're going to have a run on for about 10 to 31 in the first round this year. Yeah, to, to Porter, uh, guys, I think the one thing with him is he's being coached by his father. And his father said exactly what we had seen going into this year, and he said it, I believe, when he was being interviewed uh, at the Combine, wherever it was. You know, he went back to, to not be as handsy as grabby. And he wasn't this year. And in press coverage, he with that length, and he ran better. I thought he'd run slower. What did he run? Four or five tied at the combine? That was better than I thought he would run. Four, four, and you four, think five. about the length, as you mentioned. Four, four, five. Yeah, four four it ran a lot better. I thought he was a four five five guy. He ran better than that. So you're talking about in the late in the four four five, the four four nine range, whatever it was. The bottom line is this guy in press was outstanding. And off he didn't transition always the way you would want, like a Emmanuel Forbes does. But the bottom line is New England mm-hmm. at fourteen is going to be interesting. Do you go wide receiver? Do they take a corner? Washington at sixteen, Pittsburgh at seventeen. To get Joey Porter Jr. When I know what Joey Porter did with the Steelers, it'll be tough for Mike Tomlin to pass him up. So I think it's going to be another guy. Whether it's the fit for your defense. I think in press, he's excellent. Teams kind of stayed away from him after early on, targeting him some. After that, they said, okay, we got to forget about this guy. He's the one, he's glued to our receiver. So there's a lot to like about Joey Porter Jr. And I think going back, he did improve on the aspects his dad said, hey, this is what he had to do. He did it. You guys mentioned him, but let's just round it out here with Deontay Banks from Maryland. Mel, you can start here as, of course, he's a Maryland player. You always have first dibs on the Terrapins. Thoughts here and where he projects in the first round. <laughs> Yeah, Deontay Banks, it was great to see him be healthy. That was the main thing. Coming off that shoulder of 2021, virtually missed the entire year. And to see him come back and play the way he did, we were all talking Jacorian Bennett. Jacorian Bennett's a nice player. Tested off the charts at the Combine. And you're watching, okay, here's Deontay Banks growing on people. They're watching this guy in coverage saying, boy, yeah, who's this kid? With his length and the way he can break on the ball. And he had a really good year. Very active in coverage, breaking up passes. He'll tackle. To me, he played as way into the first round. I brought his name up, I think, two, three months ago as a guy that I thought would test well, and he did. Ran great, tested off the charts, played extremely well, put it all together. He's a first-rounder. I do like Emmanuel Forbes a little better. Joey Porter Jr. maybe a little better. So I really like Banks. I think he's my, right now, the fifth highest-rated corner for me in this draft. When you put it all together and you finalize your rankings, he'll, he'll be number five at corner. But the four guys I have ahead of him are all going in the first. He's going in the first somewhere, I think, anywhere between, say, 17 and the late first round, Todd. Yeah, listen, as much as any position, it's about traits at cornerback and, and finding guys that, that fit the mold. 
and they can match up with the freaks that we see now in the NFL at wide receiver. And Banks has those traits. I know he's listed at 6'2". That's what he's listed at in the program. At the combine, he was six foot, 197. Plenty of length there. Then you look at, at the, the explosive numbers. I need a guy that can run. Well, we got 438. You know, one of the fastest times of all the cornerbacks in the 40-yard dash. 42-inch vertical and 11-4 broad jump. So when you look at the traits here, the explosiveness in the lower body, the speed to, to cover any receiver down the field, he had only the one interception this past year, and I think nine or ten games played. He had eight pass breakups. I think I discipline at times. He can continue to improve in that area, but he has everything you look for physically in a corner. I agree. I think he's probably the fourth or fifth best corner in this class, and somewhere in the late first round is where Banks, Banks is probably going to wind up coming off the board. If your team yeah, – And real quick on Banks, Todd, real quick for you. Real quick for you. I want Banks. Locating the deep ball. If there's one thing that you look at with the other guys, like four, when you get in a position to make a play down the field, you got to make it. And there are times where Deontay Banks would lose yeah. sight of the ball and not track the ball and be able to make that play. So we've seen it in the NFL with some corners. They frustrate you. They're there. Get the head around, turn, and look and locate the ball. That's one area he needs to be work on. They'll coach him up on that aspect of it. But that's instincts. That's what does bother me a bit. That's why I have him as a fifth corner and I have Forbes, who is super instinctive, slightly ahead of him. Well, if you need a cornerback, and pretty much yeah, every I'm team just, in the NFL does. Oh, go ahead, Tal. You can wrap us up there. I was just going to say, that's kind of what I was alluding to. I'm just going to throw out one more name of a guy that just talking to scouts and general managers the last couple weeks, especially last week, just going through some different positions with, at the pro days. DJ Turner from Michigan yeah. is a hot name. He's starting, I'm not saying he's going to be in the first round, but after these five, like, don't be surprised if DJ Turner's in the mix as like the sixth, seventh cornerback in this class and a player that it really came on late in his career at Michigan at, at that cornerback spot. Certainly ran well at the Combine as well, did D.J. Turner. If you need a cornerback, this is a good year for you. And frankly, it feels like basically every team could use a bit more cornerback depth when you have quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts and Justin Herbert and Lamar Jackson and all these great young quarterbacks who can throw for 5,000 yards without hardly breaking a sweat. We're going to wrap things up today with Todd's spotlight player or players. It's up to him to decide on that one. But Todd, who are we looking at this afternoon? All right, let's start with a tight end who's like the least talked about tight end in a great tight end class. I've got, I think, five, five guys in the top 50 overall. This is going to be a unique class with tight ends coming off the board. But Brenton Strange from Penn State, I saw his numbers when I first looked at him. He's an underclassman, so I didn't get to his tape in the preseason, didn't get to it during the season, didn't know if he was going to be part of this class. And you look at his combine numbers, I just want to get a feel before I popped in the tape. 6'4", 253, ran a 4'7", all kind of average, maybe a little bit better than, slightly better than average with the 4'7". But you see there the athleticism. This guy plays fast. His 10-yard split, even though the 40 was just slightly better than average, his 10-yard split was excellent. I think it was a 1-5-1. So he accelerates quickly off the line. You see the balance there, bouncing off the tackler and regaining his balance and exploding up the field. What I also love about him is he is a great blocker. He's got a kind of a linear frame, and I looked at him. I said, why are they utilizing him in line? Because he's nasty. He's feisty. He grinds out everything you, every yard you look for as a running back. He's going to be sealing guys off. And then put him on the move. He's going to find you. He's going to hunt you down. And he's not satisfied until he knocks you on your, on your tan. So uh, to me, strange in a class where we've got all these great tight ends. It started with you know, Michael Mayer, Dalton Kincaid, and you know, moving down to Oregon State's Musgrave. Like, we've got a bunch of great tight ends. Brenton Strange, we have not once on this show mentioned him, not once on a Sports Center special, not one time. 
Have I heard anyone mention Brenton Strange's name? He's going day two. He's not going to last until Saturday. Mel, I think he's going to wind up being being a, a – if he's not a late second, he's an early third. I actually, my old tight end coach at Richmond is now with Penn State, and he's had seven tight ends go uh, you know, from college to the NFL. He said this guy's as good or better than all of them. And then he was shocked to see – because I tweeted it out the other day, and he sent me a text and yeah. said – this guy is different. Like the way he approaches the game and, and the nastiness that he brings as a blocker is, is unlike most other guys that I've ever coached. Hey, Field. And then I'll get to the second guy. This. I thought you were going to jump in, Mel. No, 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 is a red hot name. Mel, we're kind of losing you. On the block, how aggressive he is as a blocker. How aggressive Brenton Strange is getting after people is the important hey. thing. I think he's going to be no worse than a third or fourth. Mel, the uh, the old AOL hey, dial-up Phil, service know, is starting to notice, cut out there. What do you thought? He he agrees yeah, with you, and then his internet you dies. Like a, of course, right? The only time, the yeah. only time in what eight eight weeks of doing this show, he's yeah. ever given me any credit. Somehow he's, he's, he's pinching the wire on his cord. That's right. To try yeah. to make sure that people okay. can't actually hear it and, pu- and pull the clip for later. All right. All right so, Tom, do you have one more? Okay, let's, let's, let's wrap it up. Yeah. Yeah, J.L. Skinner, Boise State safety. And I mentioned him before when we talked about the safeties that, that could wind up being value picks in the later rounds. J.L. Skinner's fun to watch. I mean, he, he has some knockout blows in terms of the, but playing in the box and hunting down running backs, hunting down quarterbacks, whatever it is. He can play in coverage. But my goodness, he is great versus the run. I don't see him, I don't foresee him with his speed. He didn't run the, the, the 40th the combine. I think he's probably like a four, five, eight guy. I don't foresee him as a single high safety, but in the box, big nickel. He's six foot four, 209 pounds. Long arms, fast eyes. As I said, at the best, at his best, near the line of scrimmage and in the box. And he's also had seven interceptions the past two years. So he's a guy that is going to make some plays, not only in the backfield, but also when the ball's in the air. I just think Skinner, we talk about Brian Branch, maybe late first, early second. He didn't work out that well. So I don't know that he's going to wind up scratching the first round. But if you can get a guy like Skinner in the late second, early third, then I think you wind up getting a steal and a player that's going to be around the football more often than not. Yeah, just look at that frame right there. Even if it's listed at 6-4-2-20, really impressive from J.L. Skinner, who, as Todd just mentioned, part of that safety class that may not necessarily have the star power of prior years, but certainly has plenty of depth. Uh, Todd, I think we may have lost Mel. Like, he has, he has sat up from his Finally. seat on his wonderful set that he has at his home in Maryland. We have for once, found a speechless Mel Kuyper. Uh, so that's going to do it for us. Unless you want to have any parting words here, you can say <laughs> something that Mel can't hear. This is your one window to do so. Uh, but more seriously, as we mentioned, if you're watching right now on the live stream, 5 p.m. Eastern time, Mike Tannenbaum's Mock Draft 1.0, the GM Mock Draft. It's not what he thinks will happen. It's what he would do if he were Bye, in the seat for all 32 teams. For Todd McShay and, I suppose, Mel Kuyper, I'm Field Yates. We're back next week. Safe travels, Todd. Looking forward to Thursday coverage of Anthony Richardson's Pro Day down from Gainesville, Florida.